Hey everybody, thanks for checking out Bleach Mouth Postscript. My name is Larry. On this podcast, I generally have a guest each episode. They come armed with five pieces of music. It can be a song, it can be an LP, it can be an EP, it can be whatever they want it to be. Because basically it's just a jumping off point for us to start talking about music. I am not a music expert. I have strong opinions, but they're just that. They're opinions. And I'm not going to vouch for the expertise of any of my guests either. Uh, It's just fun conversations. And if you take it to heart, then that's on you. It certainly isn't a a problem I'm going to worry about. Not going to change my day tomorrow. Um, Guest on this episode is DX Ferris. Ferris is a writer based in Akron. Uh, He's written pieces for Rolling Stone, AV Club, Village Voice, Decibel, as well as Scene Magazine. He's written the books, 33 and a Third's Rain and Blood, Good Advice from Goodfellas, Good Advice from Professional Wrestling, as well as his ongoing Suburban Metal Dad comic strip. I've known Ferris for a while. We first met through my time at Don Austin when he did a piece for us and uh, got to know him a little bit better as we, you know, were attending the same uh, dojo, gym, whatever you want to call it, uh, martial arts uh, place. And uh, he's a really good guy. I like talking with him about music, and um, uh, I had a really good time with this conversation. We get deep into the weeds, and uh, it's it was a lot of fun. As per usual, this conversation is in two parts, Uh, so this is part one. Part two is up now, so when you finish up here, go check out part two. Thanks for listening. Holy shit, did that happen fast, you know? Yeah, Brent graduates on Saturday. Really? That's Sydney's graduating, too. <clears throat> yeah, he's uh, he's going into dentistry, I think. Really? Yeah, I think that's the big plan. Wow, I, I find it so fascinating how certain things just speak to people. Well, he's a creepy dude who likes tea, so, <laughs> you know. He's a fucked up kid. What can I tell you? Yeah, and you know, people ain't going to stop having teeth. Yeah. Or kids for that matter, it seems like. Yeah, you know, and that's that's one of those, like, even if the world does go to shit, which, you know, is entirely possible, like still gonna need dentists probably yeah. more than ever. Hey, do you think there's gonna be a big boom of uh childbirths nine months from now? I don't know. I, it would have been happening by now. <laughs> like we'd be hearing about it already, right? Well, maybe. I think maybe people like are we're waiting for them to uh pop off the cap before they uh you know started fornicating again and now we're gonna have a rash of children nine months from now <laughs> a bunch of dudes have just been busting on their wives belly for nine months now or for a year now or fuck over a year now <laughs> so how are you man shit all right all right it's been a weird year obviously did you just, did you just uh, spray uh your soda pop all over your uh keyboard? yes i did yes i did <laughs> i think i missed the keyboard a little bit but then you call yourself a writer <laughs> yeah well that's that's part of it that's part of it i have written and assembled and published something like three or four or five books since i last cleaned up my office 
because uh, who has time for that shit, you know? Yeah. So late in any kind of project, I, I reached the point where I'm losing piles of shit under other piles of shit. So it's, uh, I don't know, as I say at work, if you are moving so slow that everything is nice and neat and clean and orderly, I don't know what I can do with you. Yeah, well. Use for a person <clears throat> like that. Now, obviously, there, if the whole world was like that, it would be terrible. But yeah, it's it not that me. I. It's not that I keep things nice, neat, and clean. Um, I don't mind a little bit of clutter because I kind of <clears throat> just set stuff aside, you know, and I'll have a small pile here and I'll know exactly what that is, but eventually it gets put away. Like uh, <laughs> after I DJ, it takes me a good week before I put everything away as far as my records go. Like, you know, but that stuff stays pretty orderly because I can't find anything unless I have it in a certain spot, you know. Like yeah. I have a, I have a loose, um, I have an organization system that relies on loose genres, you know, <laughs> and then within those genres, everything is uh, alphabetical and then chronological based on release. Nice. And, if it, and if it's a re-release, it still goes the date of the original release just because I don't give a oh, shit. Oh yeah, obviously. goes you without know. saying, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, some people some people put those re-releases on the date the re-release was done. They just straight up do that because because those yeah. are people who have the original copy on top of it. You know, like yeah. oftentimes they just have a, a reissue because you know I I can't afford the fucking records that I want. <laughs> so, how long have you been in Akron now, Akron area? And we moved in. Are we recording yet? Oh, we've been recording for five minutes. Oh, holy shit. Hey, everybody. How you doing? This is cool. Cool. <laughs> this, DJ is the way I, this, here. this is the way I do it because I just sort of just roll and just get what I can. And I edit it after the fact, you know? Yeah. But and, now I've, I've been in Akron. We've been here since 2002. 2002, we came to Akron. Why does it and, seem uh, longer than that to me? Oh, uh, well, I'll tell you, Larry, in some ways, I've been in Akron ever since I first heard Devo with Whip It. Yeah. And when everybody else moved on and was like, okay, what else do you got? I was like, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. I want to hear more about this. Tell me more of this de-evolution stuff. Yeah. Tell me more of these weird guys with the hats. I, yeah. Jesus, I said weird in relation to Devo. That's how old I am. I'm a poser. Jesus. No, it's it's Never totally to fine. Say that. Because, I mean, I still classify stuff as weird. I mean, my taste, you know, generally runs either bluesy, really fast, really heavy, or fucking weird. Like, it's usually one of those four four categories that things could fall into. Devo, I think, I don't think it's embarrassing to call them weird. I mean, even, even by today's standards, they're very unique. I mean, if you really look, and, <clears throat> you know, it's a shame that, the world mostly knows them from that song. It's a great song. It's an amazing song, but it is. It's my, not... my a good good friend of mine. Uh, his name's Vince. Uh, so of course we nicknamed him Stigma at some point. Vinny Stigma. Um, <laughs> like around 2008, he made uh, a mix that I still listen to all the time called Devo Rocks. It's all mm -hmm. like Devo's rocking material stuff, like Slap Your Mammy. Yeah, and. Um, whip it and in that kind of context even whip it that you know you could easily never hear again for your entire fucking life because right. you've heard it so many times but in that context of devo songs that are all kicking ass like 
it has a fresh punch to it. Like, wow, this is a really good song. Like, yeah. I was not foolish for liking it in the first place. Yeah, I mean, there isn't there isn't too much in their material I don't like. In fact, I can't think of a single thing I don't like about them. I mean, I prefer the earlier stuff, but I think, you know, people who sleep on freedom of choice just because it has the one hit, I think are just sort of missing the boat because it was still really transgressive in its own way, not transgressive in a offensive way, you know, but everything well, about, no, I every, mean, like it's, everything it's, about, well, when people say transgressive, they typically mean like, you know, something that's purposefully offensive, you know, with, with the, uh, conceit that they're actually trying to illustrate a point, right? But Devo is transgressive in a very intelligent way in that they're really, well, maybe transgressive is not the right word. They're subversive. Really, subversive. Subversive. They're subverting the culture by, by criticizing it in a way that seems really fucking silly, but it's, and it is, it is, and it's fun, but it's also very true. Like, yeah, I mean, who, who, I, I just they that that was I don't know if they planted that seed in me, but I just I simply if I think something is stupid and that can go all the way up to the White House and the Congress, I just I can't take it seriously. I need to make fun of that. I need to call it out. I need to mock it. Yeah. And uh, maybe Devo set me on that path. Maybe not. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I had uh, I had read about the the genesis of the whole de-evolution thing, you know, and a lot of people don't realize how intrinsically tied that whole concept is with the May 4th shootings at Kent state. Like those guys were there, they were on campus, you know? Yeah. You know, the Kent state shootings are so legendary in American consciousness, American history, but something even I didn't realize, uh, not like I'm some kind of great historian, but something I didn't realize until I was here in Northeast Ohio, which which I love and we got to talk about it a little bit more. Yeah, um, I didn't realize that a lot of the people that were shot at Kent State were not even protesters. Right. They were just people that were walking out of class, you know, not hippies, not people out there in cops faces or in the National Guard's faces. Uh, you know, burning the flag or doing something to egg them on. Like well, you're I mean, just on campus, you're a citizen, you're behaving yourself, you walk out and the National Guard fucking shoots you. Well, because they, because those dudes didn't care. Like they they just saw college kids. Okay, fuck them. You know, I mean, that, I mean, and that's being reductive and very, you know, kind of shitty about it. But I don't think that. No, but obviously uh, they didn't think. It's a college campus. Let's be careful about who we're shooting here. Well, I don't think they see the difference between a, a college student and a quote unquote uh, subversive. Right. The, the assumption was that if you're a college, you're if you're going to college, somehow you must have been mixed up in all that stuff. Because who goes to college but subversives and intellectuals and just, you know, and it was just it was the sign of the times. You know, I mean, I mean, it was. I was barely anything you know yeah i mean we're, we're the same age basically right like yeah I'm, i mean i was I'm 48 I'm, I'm closer to 49 and 48 now barely but yeah i mean I'll, I'll be class 40, of 90 i'll be 49 in january you know so it, it just um, did, you, did you graduate 89 or 90 91 91 okay. my birth okay. i'm my birth i turned five i turned five in january so like 
a lot of people that I know had, when they had the summer birthdays or birthdays, the spring before they started kindergarten that fall, I had to wait a whole another half year. So I always kind of fell behind in that way. Okay. You know, cause my birthday's dead, you know, in the middle of winter, you know? Yeah. But I mean, anyway, like the whole thing is just, um, it's amazing to me how, as a country predisposed to like authoritarianism and that kind of behavior, you know, cause there are people who still think that, you know, those people were acting bad and somehow they should have been shot. And, and, you know, even if they were protesting that that's no grounds for somebody to get shot. You know? Yeah. It's I mean, like, it's, it's America. It's we got it's certain insane. rules, you know, right. you're allowed it's, to do things. And you know it's just crazy to me to think. Yeah, you know, it's that not like it's not like the uh, the president's the house was on fire. It's not like they were burning down the student union. It's not like they blew something up. It's not like they had their own tanks. Right. You know. I mean, but th- that's that's still that's still the milieu we're all operating in. Is in this weirdo fucking country that just sort of seems to go through these ebbs and flows of, you know, one shithead is in power and then. The other shithead gets put in power, you know. Yeah, it's just and it kind of like swings back and forth and back and forth. And it, it sort of doesn't seem to matter, you know. At least on the ground, it doesn't seem to matter, you know. I mean, it does. I, I don't want to be completely. Uh, no, but it's it's a fight and it's a process. It's not a destination, right? And it's you know, but you know, to back to Devo, I think that it's crazy how the last four years and this whole pandemic have sort of really <laughs> proved their point more than any other time since the genesis of the band i mean it's just crazy you're like yeah we have devolved into these like bizarro you know uh you know beings bipedal beings with opposable thumbs that can barely you know we can operate a computer but we can't operate amongst each other in any yeah, way. That's, yeah, what do we do with it? Yeah, nothing. We, we don't yeah, do I mean, anything like, productive. Like whip it, of course, is podcasts. a motivation. <laughs> this is what we do. Are we 
You know, I, I always uh, it's it's probably for, for this audience, it's gauche to reference Austin Powers. But I, I think about the first movie when Dr. Evil is looking at his son, Scott, and he's like, and this is what you choose to do. And he reaches the button that's going to eject him into the, uh, the the pit full of flame and kill him. <laughs> <laughs> like, and this is what you choose to do with your life. Well, but, it's, you know. it's funny because. um when they were talking about the genesis of it, I didn't realize how tied it was to the film uh, Island of Lost Souls. I don't know that one. Um, it's an old, I think it's a universal pitch, but picture, pitch, an old universal film. I think Universal put it out. And <clears throat> it's uh, it's the first film adaptation of H.G. Uh, Wells' um, Island of Dr. Moreau. Okay. Where a guy, he's he's a vivisectionist on an island in South Pacific, and he's turning men in, or he's turning animals into men. Right. Vivisection. Right. Yeah. Later, and, later turned um, into the House of Pain, and yeah, the the, the line "Are we not men?" comes directly from that line, from that book, okay. from that film. Are we not men? And I maybe I did sort of know it, but I didn't realize how important it was till I was watching. I got the Criterion version of it, and I was watching the extras. And Mark Mothersbaugh and Gerald Cassell are on there talking about how much that movie was influential to them. And I'm like, "Wow, yeah!" And it's it's a great film. It's a really good movie. Charles Lawton is great in it, and it's really um, talk about subversive. That that film is subversive. It's very, uh, you know, and we're talking. Uh, it was a horror film pre-code before uh, a lot of the movies in Hollywood, you know, were subject to all sorts of restrictions and censorship. There are some uh, really uh, interesting ideas going on in that movie that, you know, but yeah, Devo's, you know. Yeah. And that's, really, that's it. Really it's it's ideas. You know, I mean, whip it is a motivational anthem.
beyond that, you know, as we've been talking about, the evolution embodies everything that I, I would come to believe in the future. I mean, I was in second, third grade when Whippet came out. But, uh, you know, as someone who, I don't know if I want to claim punk status, but, you know, somebody that punk was very important to and is very important to, um, it, it, you know, as, as I got an education and I rose into the professional world, de-evolution and punk remained important to me. You know, I don't think things are getting better necessarily. Most no. progress is not progress. Think about application updates. You have an app that you use every day and they update it. Well, you didn't update it. You broke it. <laughs> and yeah. now it doesn't work anymore. You know, most, most updates are not for the better. Yeah, it's it, the whole the whole thing is not really sustainable. And I know that you can't just change things on a dime and things don't really work that way. I mean, well, you can change things on a dime, but then you leave a vacuum for assholes to take advantage of the situation even more than previously. But, uh, you know, the whole idea of progress is just, you know, I'll never see it in my time. I can only hope that my son and my daughters are able to, you know, benefit from some type of social progress, some type of uh, where we get out of this uh, funk of being shitheads. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a struggle and Devo is the struggle. You know, there's some goofiness in there. There's some fight. There's some humor. There's some progress. There's some regress. You got to confront the ninnies and the twits. And there it is, you know, and good musicianship, which I don't and think good musicianship. I don't think people really understand how great of musicians those guys are no really i mean good. innovative on every level i mean from the technology that they push forward to the things they played and the way they played it yeah um i, I once interviewed dave thomas of uh you know per ubu rocket from the tombs fame um and it, it was about devo it was a feature uh when devo were celebrating an anniversary this is a feature for cleveland <clears throat> scene so i interviewed a bunch of northeast ohio luminaries you were one of them I don't know if you remember this, but I just talked to people from here about what Devo meant to them and what yeah. Devo means then. And what do you think about Devo? And Dave Thomas said that his issue with Devo was that they were never particularly poignant. And, you know, all respect to Dave Thomas, who is a musical god. I'm sorry, David. David Thomas. I know. You can call like him Dave Thomas because <laughs> then you can mix him up with either the, the hamburger peddler the or the guy. guy or the SCTV dude. Yeah. so they could all be the same person maybe they are connected but uh he said that he didn't think that devo was poignant and i i thought what well you know better than that what, what color is the sky in your world that devo is not poignant well he he's famously cantankerous and he kind of will shit on things just to watch himself do it yeah i mean that's that's that pro wrestling rhetoric <laughs> mode that I'm yeah. very comfortable with, but still, like, just, I mean, how can you even say that with a straight face? Devo's not poignant. No. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe in his world, I think that Ohio, particularly Northeast Ohio, are famous for, you know, people here are famous for um, claiming that they love something till it sees some type of success and then they want to shit all over it. And I, <laughs> I think, I think that's true anywhere, but I think that, yeah, man, I just, you know, people can't be happy for other people in this area. And it's fucking crazy to me, especially because when it comes to music and art of any kind, 
you have to work really hard if you're from here to get anywhere. Or yeah, to you make, see, now, now this get, is get, get any traction, you know, if that's what you're shooting for to get any traction or any kind of like uh, to, to make whatever your craft is sustainable, right? To make it central to your life, you have to work extra, extra hard if you're going to yeah. stay in Northeast Ohio. Well, this, this is what brought me to Northeast you, Ohio in the first place. Yeah. And if you get that traction, then people want to crap all over you. It's like, yeah. okay, you know. Yeah. You see, now now I am from, I mean, they, they say you shouldn't talk about, uh, you shouldn't broach divisive topics. You're a uh, yinzer. In, in public. Yeah. yeah you know. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. But yeah, I am from Pittsburgh. I am from Pittsburgh. I'm down, down there, Pittsburgh, you know, a little bit south of Pittsburgh. And, I, you know, I've written, literally, I've written the book on Donnie Iris, you know, who is uh, the Michael Stanley of, uh, of Pitt, Pittsburgh, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But um, Pitts, like, I I don't dislike Akron. You know, I would love to see. I'm not a football guy. I'm not a sports dude. But I would love to see the Browns be the second best team in the AFC North every, every year. Um, the, reason, <laughs> the reason that the rivalry between Pittsburgh and Cleveland is so good is that they're the same fucking place, the same kind of people with the same attitude. You know, we're all mill hunkies and Slovaks and Irish and like Slovenians and Greek and, you know, a lot of a lot of names with uh, eyes on the end. You know, it's all working class. And if you put somebody in a room with somebody who has the same bad attitude, I'm going to know exactly what's wrong with you because I can see me and you and I know how full of shit I am. So that's the rivalry. That's why Cleveland and Pittsburgh hate each other. Plus, they're close enough that they can, you know. Yeah. Uh, Pittsburgh having a rivalry with St. Louis is an academic point at best, you know. <laughs> but here's here's the distinction, though. Here's the distinction, though. I love Akron. I have like a hundred percent. Like I thought when I came to Northeast Ohio, I would be able to watch Indians games, but somehow, like on any level, just getting behind like a Cleveland sports team feels dirty to me. You know, I, I just can't do it. Are you a Pirates but, fan? Um, yeah, yeah uh, like historically. It's been a long time since they were any anything close, anywhere close to good. All right, let's put a pin in, let's put a pin in that because I want to talk baseball for a second in a minute. <clears throat> yeah, but but Akron is a lot more Pittsburghy than Cleveland is. Like Pittsburgh is exactly the same kind of place that Akron is, and it's a lot more different. It's a lot more similar to Akron than Cleveland. Cleveland at some point with that whole 50 year losing streak had the spirit kicked out of it. Yeah. And everybody just was content to walk around going, Oh gee, this sucks. Nobody ever wins. We've been losing for 48 years now. Oh, 49. Oh, 50. I wish somebody would come save us. And it took an Akron dude to come save them. LeBron James. Well, yes and no. Let me. Well, yeah. I mean, it was not that simple because, uh, well, honestly, here's the thing. Uh, LeBron didn't bring the first world championship to Cleveland in 50 years. Oh, are we talking about Stipe? Yeah, Stipe oh. brought them yeah. their championship. And yeah. nobody recognized that. Why? Because that's what Clevelanders do. Yeah, exactly. They, exactly. You know, and look, I don't, I used to have a hate and for I'll Cleveland. And all respect to Cleveland. I, I, well, I, I, I used to have a hate for Cleveland in some ways, you know, um, because I had a chip on my shoulder because I was from Akron. And when you're, when you're, you know, 
playing music and you're first getting into quote unquote the scene you know there's a certain level of like oh you're from akron like you know it's a backwater town whatever and that may or may not be true it's neither here but that's but that's the attitude right you're some you're from you're some little hick from out in the sticks who likes kissing the misfits exactly yeah like yeah i I am actually you know why because they're awesome well i can't speak to the kiss part of that well yeah why kiss i mean yes they they look cool but so anyway the, the whole thing was that eventually when i started loving certain things about cleveland mostly the people like some of my better friends are from up there but that whole loser mentality you know is i was just saying this today i was texting a buddy of mine we were talking about hecklers and he said i feel that ohioans are pretty good at that and i said well here's why i said even though i think a lot of the i'm from a loser town i think it's performative a lot of it i think it's a shtick sometimes i think it's like you know no matter how great something is they they cling to that underdog thing it's it's like almost like this weird sort of humble brag like yeah we're losers you know yeah. and oh, it, it's we're just, from, from the rubber city what yeah. rubber has yeah. there been rubber in your lifetime? Like, what are you talking about? Rubber well, I mean, I mean, with Cleveland, it's like this real performative, like, oh, we're losers kind of thing. It's just like, yeah, get over it, man. Fucking yeah. nobody cares. Nobody fucking cares. Nobody cares. Yeah, and, no, no. Uh, with and, Pittsburgh, like, if there had, if the Steelers would be as bad as the Browns had been, have been ever for like two years, there would be like civic unrest. There would be riots in the streets, like. They would there would be burning down City Hall like Pittsburgh just isn't going to take that shit. And Akron is is a similar kind of town in that both Akron and Pittsburgh are like in this little lost corner of the universe that was washed up at some point and abandoned post-industrial. And we realized nobody was going to come get us. We realized nobody was going to do it for us. And if we wanted to entertain ourselves or if we wanted to be something great, we had to do it. Right. And that's what, that's how you get a Chrissy Hine. That's how you get Devo. Devo wasn't running up to Cleveland going, come on guys, like us, like us. No, they did. They did their own thing. And, you know, uh, you know, and beyond that, I mean, even just like, look at, look at the town right now. It's, there's a lot of stuff going on. I mean, never mind just punk adjacent music. I mean, just music in general in Akron the depth of the quality of musicians across the board is absurd. Like it's absolutely absurd. There's like stuff out there, you know, I don't have my finger on the pulse of everything, certainly, but I can tell you from people who do that there's a lot going on. And even, even just, you know, looking at it from afar, you can kind of sort of sense that it's, it's much healthier than most cities of comparable size and cities that are much larger yeah i mean look like that stuff goes look i mean what what kind of city would turn down a place like annabelle's you know if annabelle's was in new york city i think people would respect it well yeah i mean it's um it's one of those things where there are a lot of people who don't know what they've got and sometimes i feel that they, they take stuff for granted i i was surprised at how how forgotten the lime spider is like I'm, yeah i'm I mean, shocked i'm utterly shocked 
uh, I went to go see Pat Sweeney one time at um at a uh, Musica, <clears throat> and the guy from uh the Summit was introducing him, and it was a crowd full of people our age and older, people who were would would have been there at the Lime Spider. You know, right? Because at that time, Annabelle's and the Spider were central to what was going on in Akron musically. You were either either place. You could be there any night, and there'd be something going on—a band, a DJ, just hanging out, whatever. So this guy gets up there. He's introducing Pat, and he mentions that Pat, you know, had that Monday—I think it was Monday night residency at the Lime Spider. He goes, "Y'all remember the Lime Spider, don't you?" Fucking crickets in the room, and I started cackling so loud it was audible because. Not, not because, not because, not because it's a good thing that people have forgot, but just like, I was just like, are you fucking kidding me? It was like, (laughs) what planet am I on? All these people are the same age and you guys don't remember this place. It's just so it's forgotten. I think, you know, um, I mean, that's, that's the tough thing about being a music fan at our age, you know, like for some people, like I, I made this comic strip once and it was just words. And yeah. The first panel was like, uh, there, I forget exactly how it went. First panel, something like, uh, there are two responses to art. You know, one is like, okay, this amused me momentarily. And the second one is like, oh my God, that changed my life. I remember that. I want to hear more. Right. And the third panel is like, either one of those responses is correct. <laughs> Technically. Technically, and, and, and technically, but it's not. It's not. If you're serious about art, you know, it, it changes who you are. It changes how you think. It informs your worldview. Uh, but, you know, some people have stuff to do. You know, my, my wife is not particularly interested in music. You know, she was when, you know, we didn't have kids and she wasn't as deep into her career, but she has other shit to do. It's not important to her. And that's um, fine. I, I mean, can't. I, I, yeah, I get that. I can't shrug this shit off, though. Well, I think, you know, that just speaks to our. Uh, um, our. Uh, Peter Pan syndrome that we're suffering through at the <laughs> age of 48. But speaking of life changing, let's talk about DRI. Please, please, oh. please. Can we dive head first? Because shit. you said life changing and I'm looking at your list. I'm like, yep, there's one right there. Um, <clears throat> Madman, you know, that's a pretty famous song by them. And let's, uh, let's yeah, get Jamie let's- from midnight. Like we're not close friends. He's a cool dude. He's, he's been yeah. friendly to me. Jamie from midnight taught me that the first time you record a song is the best time. And there's a demo version earlier than this, but once, once you really record it and get it right, there's no going back and like redoing it for the album. Is that why that you went with the? Was. Is that why you went with the rat music for rat people version as opposed to? Yeah, I mean, the one th- this one's fiercer. It's nastier. I mean, dealing dealing with it, depending on what day you catch me, might be my favorite album. I love that. I've certainly listened to it more times than, or as many times as any album ever. Um, but this is the first thing I heard by them. This is when, like. You know, in rapid succession, I went from, well, I heard there's a thing called Pong. There's a band called the Sex Pistols or something like that. And I heard suicidal tendencies, but, you know, to the uninformed eye, institutionalized, it has a lot of the trappings of a novelty song. I'm not saying it's that. Right. But it, 
as a kid, it's just some guy talking. You know, I hadn't heard subliminal. I didn't know what a mosh pit was. I didn't know what a cholo was. Right. I didn't know about Venice culture and that. Um, so at, at that point, my conception of punk rock, um, and I, I grew up in a college town with a really good radio station, which is how I got hip to a lot of this stuff. You know, my conception of punk rock was suicidal, kind of novelty-ish. And Dead Milkmen, very funny, also. Um, kind of novelty-ish. Yeah, and then, you know, as someone whose pump was primed by metal, uh, Dio, Ozzy, uh, that kind of stuff, then this thing comes along. Yeah. It's, it rips down the veil like, whew, there's a whole other world out there. It's crazy how much like it's funny like people when on the rare occasion people ask to ask for me to talk about my bands or stuff like that I kind of always sort of I, I lo always look back to my first band and I think about what I was thinking of at the time as opposed to what it ended up sounding like right so I just tell people like well I love negative approach more than any other hardcore band but at the time I was listening to a lot of uh, a rise era sepultura and a lot of celtic frost splinter did not sound like that right so when i started doing my later bands i kind of you know just said well i, I kind of listen to the same stuff but honestly i think there's more dirty rotten imbeciles particularly you know the dealing with the lp in the dna of my bands after splinter than i really ever just said out loud and, and there's no shame in it it's just i never because i always i'm always like well this is what i was listening to you know I, I kind of always look a little bit back further and i don't really connect the dots in the way an interviewer probably would want me to you know because i always i'm like they're like well what do you like i'm like well black sabbath and voivod <laughs> it's like you know and and really you know you look to don awesome like yeah that's there's a lot of dri there i mean it, it you know, I don't think we were consciously looking at that, right? But I mean, fuck that record. That record's sick. I mean, and and to to my ear, you know, a lot of people want to argue with me about this, but that's the last good record they did to me. I mean, like dealing with it. Yeah, I I don't. I yeah, don't, absolutely. I don't. I don't like crossover. No, that was. I was. I was listening. To, I've been listening to the podcast. Love the show, by the way. Long time oh. listener, first time caller. <laughs> Thank you. And I mean, I, I obviously I know who you are and we've we've talked over the years, but a lot uh, about music <laughs> when you were talking to somebody about DRI and you said eh, crossover, if you like DRI after dealing with it, I don't know what to do with you. Yeah, that that's is when what I, I reached out. I was like, no, I got to I got to be on the show. <laughs> no, I, I, we got to talk about this. Well, I mean, Not it's that like, I ever thought you had incorrect opinions, but that well, was no, like, there's and that, that's just it. 
there's very few instances where an in opinion would be incorrect. I might disagree with an opinion completely, but it's never incorrect because it's just that. It's an opinion. Yeah. I think that my problem with crossover the record and the idea of crossover as a concept altogether, it's just absurd because I still think with very few exceptions, two come to mind. There aren't bands that there's no such thing as crossover. Like it, it's just something, it's a marketing tool, right? Yeah. And, and like even, to me, it's like, it, it, to me, it's like either you're a hardcore punk band or you're a metal band. And that's not judging either or. That's not, you know, I mean, metal was such a dirty word to a lot of punk people. And like, oh, well, we'll call this crossover. I don't know that DRI thought about that way. They're not. I don't think of them as capitalist in nature, but once that phrase came into vogue, there were a lot of people like, oh, there's a crossover movement. And yes, there were a lot of bands that were going for that sound, but they either they either stank of hardcore bands playing really bad metal or metal bands flirting with hardcore and just doing it in this cutesy sort of bullshit way. But it was still either hardcore or metal. It was never. Yeah, in, in, in there was never any melding. The, the the only two bands that came close to making me believe that that was actually a thing were the Accused and Coc. Like those are the only those are the bands that really ride that line, and you're just like, yeah, they're they're unlike either or completely. Yeah. I still tend to call Coc a hardcore band. I still tend to call the Accused a hardcore band, but that's not entirely accurate. Where yeah, if you tell, well, I mean, if, it, if you tell me if you if somebody says to me, well. Agnostic front cost. I'm like that's. I'm like that's a metal record. It's a bad metal record, but it's a metal record. And yeah, you know that's kind of my take on it. As yeah, bad I mean, as I, it might I, seem, <laughs> I, I consider my 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 perspective on COC is that I consider every lineup a different band. Like despite the fact that there's different people there, like no two of those albums are the same really well they're all so 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 different i think the two closest at least for i do break it in two sections well three sections the first even though they had like multiple lineups within the first three albums that's kind of one era for me even though the records sound markedly different each time they're still recognizable as being the same band then when they did blind yeah there's a progression in those that's like a wild left turn that they took and that's the one record of theirs I don't really like much at all. The one record. And I'm like, okay, well, that's fine. And then when Deliverance came out, um, boy, I was on board for that for sure. And it is a different band. You, you can sort of look at it as a different band. But the only thing, the only reason I don't necessarily think about it that way is because I think they've always prided themselves on being good musicians. So those types of progressions were going to happen. And the fact that they were top tier musicians makes sense, but that guitar tone, that snarl, that's been there since the first record. If you listen to Woody Weatherman's guitar tone, that's consistent. Yeah. I mean, they were always big Sabbath heads and you yeah, know, maybe it's in just 1983, that was the best they could do. The, yeah. The production just, and then by there. 2000, they could do it a lot better. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, uh, after, after dealing with it, I just kind of, I checked out on them, uh, you know, suit and tie yeah, guys, I mean, it's, it's, it's tie a, guys a catchy thing. tune, but I mean, and that's nah, I mean, it's, four it's, of a kind, but I, I just, 
I'm like, I don't want this from you. This is not yeah, it's 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 a different thing, you know. I mean, DRI that Madman 45 second song. Yeah. Violent pacification. That's that's the best shit ever. I mean, yeah. who else has been that good? Let's listen to that. I think even look though, at, look at the song. We'll force you to be nice to each other, kill you before you kill each other. Violent pacification. Yeah. That's the whole fucking song. Yeah. It's perfect. You know, that's that's the promise of punk rock. Yeah. Like you don't have to write a whole song. Yeah. You can say some quick violent shit and you don't have to like, well, there's I don't really hear a chorus in there. I'm like, fuck that. Well, I mean, they're, I they're playing I, it I, like faster than was humanly possible at the time. That yeah, the I, barrier. I think you're right. I think that the best hardcore bands, hardcore punk bands, and I don't, I don't that word, those words are interchangeable as far as I'm concerned. Like if you're a hardcore band, you're a punk band, but not all punk bands are hardcore. Yeah. That's kind of where I'm at. But if you're a hardcore band, <clears throat> I think that it's okay to, to deconstruct music on some level because, you know, they did it. Discharge did it. You know, um, there are a lot of bands that do it, but I still, I still need a hook sometimes, man. Like, yeah. Uh, otherwise, if you're just playing fast for the sake of being fast and there's no hook there, it's like, what's the point? But I think that the brevity of the message that you're talking about is where there's a lot of impact in that. And that's what a lot of other quote unquote protest songs lack, you know, up to that point where was the brevity and like the direct the direct message, you know, you're like kind of mainlining those type of revolutionary politics, you know, as opposed to sort of like stepping on it with some baking soda and then, you know, injecting that. So, you know, yeah. But I mean, it, crossover, it's, it's just, it's a totally different thing. Like the spirit's gone. I mean, the dirty rotten EP or LP, whichever version you're looking at is what <laughs> 21 songs in 17 minutes. Yeah. The, uh, dealing with it is what 25 songs in 34 minutes yeah uh, and they can still play like they play really well on that album it's a very musical album it's got a little bit of rock and roll going on in there it's got an it's got a little bit of metal in there like if you listen to uh like uh nursing home blues yeah you know i mean Your there's that proto chug riff in there yeah and 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 you know flirting with a little bit there's no harm in that and I certainly was in a band that was very much dabbling in metal in significant ways, you know, but yeah, I just know what I like to listen to necessarily, yeah. you know. But, you um, know, again, that, that to me, that's the embodiment of the promise of punk rock. You're right. doing as little, you do as much or as little as you want to. You don't right. have to worry about it being clean and nice. You don't have to worry about the rules of songwriting. Nobody's saying, well, that's too fast and too loud. You can't do that. Nobody is saying, well, you know, you really can't have a soldier bayoneting a baby on the cover. Like, no, you can do that. If you really want to. Yeah. And, you know, I, it, I, after, after that, I was going to go all in on punk. I was going to be like punk, punk, punk. Cause that was the, again, best shit ever. If My that, bags, if, what, what, what came after that? If that was like the, the hook for you. Well, you, I mean, my, my bags right were packed. There. Yeah, so I I was headed out, but then I read a review of this uh, this band I'd never heard of called Slayer, mm -hmm. and uh, something about the review made it sound interesting. You know, yeah. it was this big like I've never read a review quite like that. the The review was this cream 
Metal Edge magazine. Mm-hmm. And uh, it had like three guys just shooting the shit. It wasn't like a written review saying, this new Slayer album brings blistering leads in the magnum opus title track, uh, Epic and Dynamic Tour de Force. It wasn't that. It was just three dudes sitting around talking shit. Like, this what album's record were scary. they talking about? Well, they were talking about five records. They were talking about uh, Belphegor, uh, best uh-huh. known for an 80s single, All That I Wanted, which is a fucking phenomenal song. Uh, I still listen to that. I was I was running to that this week, Belphegor, not the uh, with a PH, but with an F, Belphegor. Uh, there was a band called Exodus I'd, I'd heard a little bit about, a review of uh, Bonded by Blood. A little band uh, called Exodus, yeah. I, I, yeah, I think, a little band. I think I've heard of them. Yeah, you, the, a couple of the metal aficionados out there. Uh, I'm pretty sure uh, Impaler might have been in the mix there, possibly. Uh-huh. But in, in that uh, milieu, something about the way they were talking about Slayer stood out. You know, somebody referenced, uh, I was reading a lot of Stephen King at the time. And a guy was like, you know, if I was sitting in my room and it was dark and I was reading Stephen King and I heard this album coming out of nowhere, it would scare the shit out of me. I was like, oh, well, that sounds interesting. Yeah. Uh, Stephen King. And they were talking about it like it was some kind of thrash masterpiece. And then like I put the album on, you know, the first uh, first track being Hella Waits. And I'm expecting some kind of like blinding thrash experience, like Ride the Lightning or something like that. And it's just this slow chug grind. I'm like, what the fuck? Oh, here it is again. I read some stupid review and the guy said the album was good. And it's not. Uh, cause they're talking about it. Like it's some kind of speed metal masterpiece. And it's just dun, like, what the fuck? So I'm sitting there pissed off blind for like 90 seconds as the chug just kind of builds and builds and builds. And all of a sudden it drops into another gear and I got goosebumps still thinking about it. And all of a sudden it kicks in and uh, now it's fast slayer. Yeah. It's like, holy fuck fucking shit are you kidding me tom is chasing was, the music with all those lyrics that he can barely fit into the amount of bars that they've allotted yeah, exactly and I, I missed that about slayer i missed that but that was like okay well these guys can hang with dri maybe i'm not done with metal yet yeah. maybe i'm not done with metal yet and i'm still not i think you know a lot of people um you know look and i, I agree with this you know general uh I don't know if it's a general opinion, but a lot of people look to uh, Rain and Blood as being the masterpiece. And I think even they as a band sort of say, yeah, there's no way that we'd necessarily be able to top that or we're building to that, you know. Um, But, you know, all of their records from Show No Mercy up through uh, Seasons in the Abyss are just fucking excellent. Yeah, and, all of them push the game forward. And it's crazy. Yep. It's crazy that as recognizable as Slayer is, all those records sound pretty different. Yeah, you they know? do. And I mean, I think that you get uh the Show No Mercy was very, you know, priest-like, you know, like there's a lot of you could hear still you could still hear a lot of the Judas Priest in their sound because that's kind of the band. Yeah, that like sort the of wailing and the harmonies and yeah. 
you know, like evil has no boundaries is not that far from Judas Priest. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, haunting the chapel was like, oh, wait, these guys are doing something different. You know, that EP and, you know, but Hella Waits was just, um, it's boy, the that- most, like, I didn't like Rain and Blood for a long time after it came out because really? I loved Hella Waits. Really? I loved Hella Waits. Yeah. And Hella Waits is what, seven songs and it's 45 minutes, give or take. I think that there are songs on Hella Waits that I like much better than a portion of the songs on Rain and Blood. But I think that, in a lot of ways, Hello Waits is like watching watching a video of somebody being murdered, right? <laughs> okay. Rain and Blood is being there in person for that murder. There, that's the difference. Like there's something, the austerity of Rain and Blood makes it more um, potent. Yeah, I've, I've been thinking about Evil Slayer. lately and i've been missing it you know with rain and blood and after slayer's strain of evil tends to be about the evil that men do yeah you know who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men joseph mengala ed gein um but after rain and blood more often than not slayer and the evil they talk about is not supernatural you know, it's not demonic, you know, right. Auschwitz is certainly evil, but it's a profound evil. Uh, it's not exciting in the way that evil has no boundaries is, you well, know, I think like I, some demon holding a sword swath through humanity like that. That's kind of gnarly, you know, I, like I think, Auschwitz is not entertainment. No, it's it's not. I mean, I, I, I get the point. I think that yeah. they're sort of they were pushing buttons. They're interested in yeah. pushing buttons and they were, they're like, we're going to look at something objectively. That's yeah. Objectively and, it's, and it's serious and it and has sinister. weight, but it's not like ridiculously gleefully over the top, like necrophiliac is right. And it's you like, know, hella weights is like some epic shit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, 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 I get what you're saying. Like, I, I think that that's where that austerity sort of backfires a little bit is like, you look at the subject matter and it's just like, yeah, man, that's kind of, I'm like, I don't need a song about that. You know, yeah. I, I really it, you don't. Know, it, it was innovative at the time, you know, and at the time it's, you know, talk about aging well for like the wrong reasons at the time it was kind of like Nazis. What the fuck are you talking about? Nazis. That was right. like 50 years ago. This is America, dude, get out of here. Right. Like we know that we learned that lesson. Nobody's. Or so we thought. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And now, like, thirty-five years after that album, like, oh wow, like, yeah, you know, we we might need a reminder on some of that. Some, of but I, I think too. I think I'm with you on that. I think I, even though I felt that Rain of Blood was more potent, I think that cartoonish Satanism was was way more fun. Yeah, way more fun. Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, and there are some songs on there, some deep cuts that I think people don't really pay like hardening of the arteries is such a killer fucking song Cover the 
everything about that praise of death yeah holy shit i mean, I mean if, if, if they could give that a proper remastering and make that album sound good uh holy shit i don't like, I, and i don't know if it would necessarily be for the for the better but well i they were going for like this big production like i don't i don't really like the way the drums sound i mean it just they sound uh clunky to me like it just it <laughs> Yeah, it's, you I know. mean, it's like, you know, famously, like John Bonham recorded the, the drums for when the levee breaks, like what in, in the, the big castle ante room or the big lobby or something like right. that. Right. You know, this sounds like they were in like a metal stairway. Yeah. With like metal steps. So, so it wouldn't be fireproof, you know, like you see what they were trying to do, but it just doesn't work. No, I mean, I think that, you know, 
I, and from, I don't know for sure, but I guess uh, Brian Slagle was directly involved with the production of it. And I don't even think those guys were happy with it. Yeah. And he, he you was, know. you know, as, as you can read about in the books, you know, I, I find, I talked to him about that and all that stuff. Um, but I mean, he was young, you know, they were making it up as they went, you yeah. know? Yeah. I mean, and there are many albums that sound better that we're not talking about now. So it I mean, far, f- far be it for me to judge somebody's fucking production. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've, I've been in spots where I was like, you know, fuck, you know, um, I, you know, I really, but I mean um, that, that, that first good version of that, man, that doesn't sound great except it's fucking awesome. So I'll take it. You know, I mean, there's something, something about the way that unholy three was recorded that is perfect for what it was, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think that there's a, I think some music requires a level of amateurism, you know, cause it loses, it loses the impact it does. You yeah. Know? And you know, more I, importantly, I th- you just, you sound like you, you're not trying to sound like some other band, you know, and I think what is wrong with metal now and, you know, pretty much most extreme music is the people will deny it. And if, if you're hearing this, I'm not talking about your band. I'm talking about the other guys. Um, the Royal you like, yeah, the Royal you, not you, the other guys, like everybody is like playing one of eight sounds, you know, they're, they're doing this thing or they're doing that thing. And nobody is like going for it. Everybody's trying to sound like this guy and, and, and again, that's reductive, but um, yeah, we're here. We're doing the reductive thing. Well, I, you know, and and Don Austin sounds like Don Austin and the unholy three sounds like the unholy three. And I will thank you. Know, you. Uh, we're not, you know, all respect, all respect to uniform choice. You know, you listen to a whole album with those guys and you're like, well, somebody likes minor threat. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, and I, I don't, I don't listen to your bands and think, well, you know, clearly <laughs> Larry loves AOD. Clearly. <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, I don't have a problem with people playing in, in a certain sandbox and, and having restrictions, you know, like I've always kind of been of the idea of like, well, I don't want to push the envelope. Right. I don't want to like expand the envelope, but I want to see how much I can fit in the envelope that I've, that I've been given, yeah. you know, if it's a number 10 envelope, I want to fill the number 10 envelope till it's bursting at the seams. I don't want to like, I don't want to reinvent the envelope or have a bigger one, you know, to use a stupid cliched sort of, you know, metaphor. But I yeah, think and, that and some, some shit works, you know, a hammer works, you know, a wheel works. Give me that. That's useful. I'll yeah. And, and I think it's, with a lot of metal bands, they, they lose character because they're, they're trying to one up each other as far as musicianship. And, you know, how many triggers do they need to fucking make their drums sound like the dude has robot feet, you know, and just it, it, they overplay, they lose sight of a song and it's just, you know, Slayer, I don't think ever lost sight of songwriting. Like they just sort of, you know, they were, they were still very much in the tradition of, metal as uh you know song comes first not just the aggression you know or not just the technicality you know i dio is a perfect example last in lines on your list i want to segue into that because i think that he's a guy who is every bit as metal as any band his music is every bit as metal as any band you can talk about i know that there's 
you know, a, a panoply of subgenres and micro genres beyond that. But, you know, the one thing that when I think about Dio, not just his voice, which is first and foremost, but just the great songwriting, like the fact that there's an undefinable level of excellence with what Dio did, be it in Rainbow or Sabbath or solo stuff that yeah, it's, people it's aren't going to be cinematic. Yeah. It's personal at the same time. We're yeah. off to the witch. What? Tell me more.
<laughs> I want to hear about this witch journey. Uh, you're you're the man on the Silver Mountain. Fuck right you are. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, beyond all the the silliness, and I don't mean silliness to be dismissive. I mean, you could look at it that way. But beyond all that, he's just writing great songs. And man, I'm convinced that you know, as a younger man, Dio could have sang anything he fucking wanted. He could have been in any type of band. I mean, that's the kind of talent that dude had. I mean, fuck. I mean, I, as far as metal goes, I can't think of any other vocalist that I like nearly as much as Dio, you know, yeah, as, far, I mean, as far as sheer ability goes. Yeah. You know? he, he just, I mean, he was, he, he sang with his whole body, you know, like it was all in there. I never felt like he was holding back or all 110 pounds of it. Yeah. And hey, it, it worked. Yeah. It worked. Man, like here, like last in line, Dio's last in line. That's yeah, one why the, the really why fun. this one over the other ones? That really got a hook into me as a metalhead, you know, and that's part of like my age. You know, I I I had you know quiet riot. I'd I'd experienced that. Motley Crue got a hook in me, and this was uh, you know. Rainbow in the Dark had been out earlier. I was peripherally aware of this song, but this was the new hotness. You know, this was like the current video when uh, when I, I was now aware of heavy metal and heavy metal was a thing to me and I decided I liked it. Right. So once my antenna was up for that kind of thing, this is the first one that I heard. And What was uh, what was the first metal band that that you took interest in? Man, um, pro like probably... I'm curious to, to hear what the leap was probably like motley crew quiet riot were the ones that really got a hook into me okay uh and and there must have been some guitar stuff leading up to that point um man and that's part of the, the problem of getting older is like all the stuff that i could ramble off easier but motley crew is was really a breaking point for me you know i have a list of things that i'm what, not shout talking the, about shout, on here shout at the, shout at the devil yeah, shout at the devil. Yeah, shout that was that was that was. If I've never considered them a metal band, I've always just thought of them as hard rock. Period. Yeah, with, absolutely. With, with touches of various things that they were flirting with at the time, but that is probably if they had a metal record, that would be it. That one right there. Yeah, and and Quiet Riot, you know, Metal Health to me was a metal record. I know people like to just qualify both those bands as hair metal but i think there's something more going on with those two than than your average poison wannabe you know yeah i mean molly crew came to town right after i'd become or right before i became aware of them so i'd, I'd heard that they came through and quiet riots uh condition critical was the first real concert that i'd been to like going to the big city and seeing a big show um, and White Snake opened for them. That was a good show. That was on the Slided In tour. Very underrated. Fuck, talk about a great vocalist. Jesus Christ. Keep on pushing, babe, like I've never known before. You know you want a crazy child. I just want to see you on the floor. On a superstitious woman, she got a superstitious mind. 
Yeah, that album is so much better than the big one. Um, that big one has moments, though. Oh yeah, I mean, seriously, it's, it's, in in the still of the night, that hook, that fucking lick, that oh, yeah. guitar line, fuck that, man, that's awesome. I some I I forget. There's there's actually a reason I'll, I'll tell you off the air. Uh, I was listening to that album a lot over the spring, and uh, it it just it grabbed me in a way that I never did. Like I don't think I ever owned a copy of it, so I just knew the big white snake album from the singles and from the videos 
and that's some iconic imagery also yeah you saw but, she just um, passed away right yeah that's yeah yeah r.i.p tawny katane yeah. you know she she seemed i got the impression that she was as smart and clever as she was hot and she was otherworldly hot but <laughs> she seemed like she had a real brain going on there yeah you know like bachelor party is is a masterpiece i, I forgot I, she was in that yeah that was her that was her. I wish Wait, she and boy, Tom that, Hanks would have made seven movies together. That's that's a far cry from fucking Saving Private Ryan, man. <laughs> that, <laughs> would you have guessed the, you that know, Tom I, Hanks would be like America's fucking dad? I'll, I'll from respect watching Tom movie. Hanks. I, I think all of his later career like accolades have been late recognition for his paprika speech in uh, Bachelor Party. Uh, he did <laughs> say ah, you've made me the happiest spice well hey the meal of the century looks like it's just about ready so it's uh, time for spice yes it's spice time and the lucky spice is <gasps> paprika and your final party will find me the happiest spice in the world it's a veritable U.N. for dinner here so Swedish meatballs hunger hunger olga I mean, that's like he's doing the Bill Murray thing in that where he just takes the whole stupid movie and half a script and just puts it on his shoulders. And everybody there does such a great job making that a fun, hilarious, like Marx Brothers level movie. With people people shit on uh likable individuals like in that like they when when somebody is called likable they usually mean like it in a dismissive way but i think that's why he was able to carry it because he's you know a likable individual you know i mean yeah. i don't know too many people could have pulled that off i my favorite thing about tom hanks was I, i'm a huge fan of ray harryhausen films like jason the argonauts yeah uh, Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, famously the original Clash of Titans. Clash of but, Titans. But Jason the Argonauts was the supreme yeah. achievement. I I feel he done he's done a million pictures and I love all of them. And he finally got like a lifetime achievement award from uh, the Academy. And Tom Hanks and they didn't show it on the main thing, you know. But there's a video clip of Tom Hanks uh, giving him the award and he's smiling ear to ear. He was so happy for Ray Harryhausen. And Harryhausen walks off stage after saying his thank you. And Tom Hanks goes, yeah, you know, some people say Citizen Kane or Gone for the Wind, Gone with the Wind as being the greatest films of all time. But I mean this with all my heart, it's Jason and the Argonauts. And I was just like, fuck yes, man. <laughs> that's yeah. like, you know, that that's like a big deal. You know, like, it, it, I mean, yeah. it's not a big deal only to a goofball like me it is, but, you know. No, but you, you like what you like, you know? Yeah. I mean, I... Boy, we went far afield. We were talking Dio. about Dio, but okay, I guess so Dio. I, well, Dio, let, listen, Dio. Let, let, let me tie it together real quick. Dio, sword and sorcery. Jason the Argonauts, sword yeah. and sorcery. There you go. <laughs> so, like, here is why, like, Dio is better than Ozzy, and I'm not necessarily saying Dio Sabbath is better than Ozzy, though I'll, I'll listen to that argument. Here's why Dio is better than Ozzy. Um, once he hits his stride, I'm not talking like Ronnie and the Red Caps, but once Dio hit his stride, and that's so fascinating to me, I wish I would have been able to, like I interviewed him once 
And I wish I would have been able to interview him like later on in my career to ask him this question. Like, cause Dio music is unmistakably Dio. Right. And like, I, I wonder when that sound started taking root in his mind. Like when he was recording with like, you know, before between Ronnie and the Red Caps and Elf, when did he start thinking like, I got this vision for me singing about ah, and witches and like, like how did that, like, did he hear that? Did it take him like, was that a sound he was chasing? Did he have to put that together in 1950 when he was singing doo-wop? Like was something calling his name out of the darkness? I mean, there wasn't metal. Was something calling saying, hey, Ronnie, Ronnie, come join us, join us. <laughs> Well, I think you know, it, how, how did that take form? But here's why Dio's better. Like, go, go ahead. Once he hits his stride and he's doing the Dio thing, any band that Ronnie James Dio is fronting is Dio. Yeah. Ozzy is only as good as the people around him. You 100%. know, when Ozzy has Randy Rhodes on guitar and Bob Daisley or Jakey e. Lee are writing the songs, it's fucking awesome. And Madman's better than Blizzard, by the way. Um, but when the band so. is just Zach, yeah, well, you know, we can debate that because like I've, I have like th what, 35, 40 years of blizzard under my belt. I don't need to hear crazy train again. Well, nobody, know? I don't need to hear that song either, but like, <clears throat> I think, and you're probably right. Like if I, I haven't listened to either in a long time, taking a deep dive, <clears throat> but Mr. Crawley is just such a great song. Like that almost trumps anything. You know, like that's yeah, just an amazing true. song.
and, and to my mind, probably him sort of trying to touch on Sabbath a little bit because of the lurching nature of it, you know? Yeah. Like lately, I've been, I've been working on this theory that some music you experience almost, I, I don't have a good term for it yet, maybe sort of four-dimensionally, or there's a, a temporal element to how you have to rank your albums. Yeah. Like when Mark from Camara says that Seasons in the Abyss is the best Slayer album. Like he's not wrong. He's not, and I'm not saying like no. I mean, because think you make about that it, argument. It yeah, combines the best elements of Rain and Blood and South of Heaven. Yeah, and it, it's their most rock and roll album. You know that rocks like fuck. Like they're really <sighs> playing well. But yeah, like unless, like, are you even saying that's the best Slayer album if Rain and Blood didn't already push you through the door to a certain realm, and now you're saying, well, Slayer is you know obviously good at Rain and Blood, but when they brain it in just a little bit more and rock out a little bit more fluidly is that better you know some sometimes just time has to affect the the rankings for things you know well i think so i don't know if if i don't know if madman is necessarily like the i mean because you know obviously people aren't talking about um you, you know diary or all those songs the way they do crazy train so maybe it's not as big and good but well no I'm i mean cra crazy Blizzard, train so crazy train's a poor example of crazy train's a poor example of size uh, ozzy's solo output honestly it was that was good the point. hit that was the hit i mean there's more depth there than that song would allow you to believe yeah you know um i think you know the four-dimensional aspect of it has like you know context and perspective to your to what you're saying as far as like the time you spent with something or I, I think that has a lot to do with it but you know with Dio for me even though I heard Holy Diver first that was the first thing I heard Rainbow Rising is really just for to my taste to my taste that's just that's more in the same band holy shit well I mean not just Blackmore he had John Lord Cozy Powell played drums on a couple of those records. And, and like the beginning of Stargazer, that drum line going into it. I yeah. mean, come on. I, I just think that's the strongest work. And I think that's most representative of Dio's talent as far as like it's grand. It's still rocking. It's still um, soulful in an odd way. The lyrics don't lend itself to that, but his voice is very soulful. And I don't mean that in the way David Coverdale is soulful because that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. But I yeah, know I mean, he's not D, a blues guy the way. The well, if Dio put his mind to it, he probably could sing soul. He could have sang yeah. soul if he wanted to. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, last in line's a great, great record. I like it. I, I yeah. Really and and that's, that song, like I recently played it for, uh, you know, my younger kid is more into my, she's more into my world than my my older kid is and and that's yeah. okay she she doesn't have to be but that song man like i played it for her like she didn't know it so i just played it and she was hearing it for the first time and i i was driving i had like kind of uh, an eye on her and that beginning of it that intro was so pure and yeah. so clean i mean mm -hmm. listen to it like for a minute like it could be a simon and garfunkel song did Vivian Campbell play guitar on that record too? Um, yeah, I believe so. I believe so. He produced that one. God, that was 84. Think about that for a second. Fucking 1984. Wow. I wasn't, I was 12, maybe. I might have been 12. 
I think I was 12. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that would, that was like eighth grade for me, I think. And, and that's, you know, before the wave of metal came, you know, he yeah, wasn't Vivian even... Campbell, Jimmy Bain, uh, Vinny uh, Apice. Yeah. Jimmy Bain. Uh, he, he's always had good drummers in his bands. Yeah. So, I mean, like, Oh, what's your the... favorite song off that one? Uh, probably last in line, last in line. Like I have, I have a workout that I, I have a mixtape that I made called Cardio. That's like high <laughs> interval workout set to like Devo songs and covers of it. And it fucking works. You know, yeah. we, we rock is, is a good one. Um, yeah. There's a lot of good stuff on there, but uh, last in line is like the epic one. Right, that's it for part one. Part two is up right now, so go check it out. Ferris uh, and I go deep on the next one uh, in a little bit of hip hop towards the end of it. So uh, go ahead and uh, pick up where you left off, and uh, we'll see you on the other side. Thanks. Have hearts of stone.